If you've been with us over the course of the summer, we have been in 1 John. We took a couple weeks off over the last two weeks, but now we're going to return to 1 John and finish out the letter. And so between this Sunday, next Sunday, and the following Sunday, we will wrap things up in 1 John. Um, just a great letter that we've been going verse by verse through over the course of this summer. Um, I want to start with this idea because I think that most of you, if not all of you, will agree with this, that in life... I believe we all have the desire for what is real, all right? What is real. Now, maybe one illustration that I can give you to prove this to you. I remember growing up in, in, in our family when we would have summer get-togethers. Many times those summer gatherings or those parties would involve homemade ice cream. Anybody a fan of homemade ice cream? All right, there, there's something different about it, right? That you, you've gathered together, you work together to make the ice cream. Now, I know there's some that have like a, it's an electronic version. We didn't have that. Like we had the old one that you had to crank, all right? So if you wanted to eat ice cream, you had to put in your time cranking the ice cream maker, all right? And at the end of that, like it's, it's a workout. <laughs> I remember like, you know, because the, the ice cream gets hard, someone would have to sit on the top of the ice cream maker while the other person's like cranking behind you, all right? So it was kind of a funny moment, all right? But it was that unifying thing too because you think, we worked for this ice cream, now we get to enjoy this ice cream. And I think another aspect of that is you saw what went into the pot. You saw the, the real milk and the real cream and the sugar and the different things that make up the ice cream. And then you get to take part in something that's real. Okay, In life, we all desire what is real. We, we desire this in our food. We, um, we desire this in the character and the quality that we have. And so the way we define people many times is that, well, that person's real. And that's a good thing. That there's, there's no kind of facade or fakeness about that individual. But you see that person, you see how they lead their life, and you're like, what you see is what you get. It's real. And that's a character quality that's desirable. When you think about relationships and our interactions with others, in a world of digital relationships and surface kind of level relationships, we desire real in our friendships and our relationships with others. And I think this got brought to the surface in many ways through the shutdown and the, and the pandemic. Because we're all isolated to our homes. We're not able to see each other as often as we want to. I don't know about you, but it was in that moment how I, I realized how thankful I am for friendships, for family, for brothers and sisters in Christ. We desire real relationships. And I think in life we desire real love. And we're going to talk about that a little bit today. And here's my main point as we, as we jump into the passage as we think about this text, here's the main point. Real faith in Christ leads to real love in life. All right, let me say that again. Real faith in Christ leads to real love in life. Because if we're honest, we all have this deep longing in our lives for real love. We desire true love, true connection, true relationship, real friendship in life. And I'm here to tell you today, that Jesus Christ is the only one that can fulfill that desire in your heart. A true, genuine, real relationship with Jesus is the only thing that leads to real love in life. One commentary put it this way. 
The road to love is paved with faith in Christ. It's about Jesus. And so we're going to talk this morning about what it means to be a believer in Jesus Christ. Because as we look at these five verses in 1 John 5, verses 1 through 5, we're going to see three things that come out of the text that really describe and define for us what it means to follow Jesus, to be a real follower of Christ. And the first one is this. Every believer in Jesus Christ, number one, has been born again. Okay? Number one, has been born again. Look at verse 1 with me. It says this. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born again. Now, let's talk about these phrases. Everyone who believes. We're going to see this word everyone appear three times in these short five verses. All right, so there's a repeated word and kind of a theme that John is trying to communicate. But he says, everyone who believes in what? That Jesus is the Christ. All right, just so we're all on the same page. When it talks about Jesus being the Christ, it means that he is the promised one. He is the Messiah He's the savior of the world, the one that came to save us of our sin and conquer sin and death once and for all by dying on the cross. Jesus is the Christ. And so when we proclaim that truth, that's what we mean. Jesus is the promised one who came to deliver man from his sin. He is the Messiah. He's the savior. Jesus is the Christ. And when we believe that, there's a result that we see here in this passage And that is this, that you are born of God. And so what does this mean? Let's talk about this phrase, to be born of God or born of him. Well, we understand physical kind of biological birthdays, do we not? I I don't know about your family or your, your home life, but we make a big deal of birthdays in our home. And I think as a culture, we make a big deal of birthdays, right? There's, there's parties and hats and candles and cake and ice cream and presents, and everybody gets together to celebrate birthdays, right? And this season, we've done drive-by birthdays, maybe, all right? But there's still that, that element of we want to celebrate physical life. In the really household, we start every birthday, whether it's Lydia or I or our four kids, every birthday starts with pancakes, because right, you can't have a birthday without pancakes. And so we have homemade pancakes. Um, and yes, there are candles placed in the pancakes. And by 6.30, 7 o'clock in the morning, you're blowing out candles on your birthday. All right? Just one tradition that we love to do because we make a big deal of birthdays. But I want you to think for a moment, when was the last time you thought of your spiritual birthday? That, that moment when, when the Holy Spirit worked in your heart and brought salvation to your life. All right, if you're a believer here today, you might not remember the specific day, and that's okay. But you know that there was a moment or a season of your life where God used that moment and his word in a profound way to change your life. You were reborn. You were given new life in Christ because you believed in Jesus and were saved. We have a spiritual birthday. The theological term for this is the word regeneration, right? Big word. What it means is that you were reborn, that as a follower of Jesus, you are a new creation, that your old fallen humanity, your broken, sinful, messed up self has been completely transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit in the work of Jesus Christ. You've been regenerated. You've been born again as a follower 
of Christ. Every believer in Jesus Christ has been born again. I'm reminded of a conversation that Jesus had with with a Pharisee, a religious leader, during his ministry. It's recorded in John chapter 3. I'm not going to read the whole account. But Jesus looks at this religious leader. His name was Nicodemus. And he says this. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And so we can draw from that, that it's not enough just to have enough good works or to live a a good enough life. No, to truly be a follower of Jesus and to inherit eternal life, it involves being reborn in a spiritual sense. That we have a brand new life in Jesus Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, another famous verse that you may have heard before, but just a profound truth for us as followers of Jesus. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Or in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 5, Paul writes, even when we were dead in our trespasses, in other words, our sin, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. So church, what this tells us is that salvation at that moment of your spiritual rebirth, it doesn't mean that being saved just takes you as a good person and makes you better. No, what salvation means is it takes you as a dead person spiritually and brings you to life. We we must think about our, our relationship with the Lord Not in pride or arrogance, thinking I've worked my way to achieve this status. No, I was dead, and God made me alive. I was an old creation, and he made me a new creation. I had nothing to offer, and he offered me the gift of his beloved son. We have been reborn. We have been made new through a relationship with Jesus. So here's my question before we move on to the next point. Have you fully trusted in the saving work of Christ? Wherever you're at, along the spectrum of following Jesus, maybe you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Christ. As you think about your walk with the Lord, you've never in a real way, a genuine way, given your life to him. My challenge for you today is to accept that invitation. That today you can admit your sin, confess your sin to the Lord, and receive forgiveness for the sins that you've committed in your fallen state. That you would confess and believe in the gospel, and that you would make Christ your Savior and your Lord, and that today could be the day of salvation for you. You could experience that new birth, that new life, that new creation status today, not because of any special prayer that you pray, but because God has worked in your life. And he has drawn you into a relationship with him. Have you fully trusted in the saving work of Christ? And if not, what's holding you back? What's keeping you from a relationship with Jesus Christ? That invitation is there. And God is saying, come. And maybe you're here today and you do know Christ as your Savior. Praise the Lord. I'm so thankful that there's so many mature followers of Christ at Maranatha Bible Church. But every season brings different circumstances and different challenges and hardships. So where we stand today in this particular season, 
Are we fully trusting the saving work of Christ? Have we placed our full trust on the sovereignty of God and the goodness of God in this particular season or chapter of our lives? And if not, what needs to change so that we can more fully trust the goodness of God that we just sang about? More fully trust the work of Jesus in our lives. Every believer in Christ has been born again. Secondly, every believer in Jesus Christ loves God and God's people. Every believer, true, real believer in Jesus Christ loves God and loves God's people. Look at verses 1, kind of the last part of the verse through verse 3. It says, And everyone who loves God, the Father, loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Again, there's this idea that everyone, all right, every true believer, every follower of Christ, what is true of them is that everyone who is a believer loves God, and loves others. It's the great commandment that Jesus gave in Matthew 22, where we're called to love God, that our vertical relationship, the north and south relationship of our life with God the Father ought to be good. It ought to be right. And the way that happens is through, again, faith in Jesus Christ, that our relationship with God can be reconciled. And so are we loving God? And also are we loving others? We're called to love our neighbor as ourselves. the horizontal relationships that we have, the east and west uh, relationships that we have with friends and family members and coworkers and neighbors and people that we play with on sports teams and uh, the people that we find here even in this church. Are we loving God and extending the grace that we've received in him? The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 13 verses 8 through 10, he, he talks about how when we live this kind of life, when genuine, real believers truly love God and love others, when we do that, we actually fulfill the law of the Old Testament. The law of God is fulfilled when we live this kind of life. Check it out. It says in Romans chapter 13, verse 8, he says, Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments... Say, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. All right? We're called to love God and love others. And then he goes on to say, John says... In, in 1 John 5, verse 2, back to our main passage, he says, but by this we know that we love the children of God. And so I want you to notice here this word know. It's, it's where we get assurance. Um, there's certainty. We can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that if we are living this kind of life, that we are loving the people of God, other believers, the children of God, it says here. And so what does that life look like? Again, he reviews his points and he says, we know this, that we love 
the people of God when we love God first. So if you want to be a person who's known by love, that when people interact with you, they hear your words, they hear your actions, they're like, that is a person who loves people. He loves others. She loves other people. The way that happens is we have a good relationship with Jesus Christ. With the love that we have received from the Father, the grace that we've received from the Father, the mercy that we've received from God, our Father, is then extended out to the people that are around us. And we can't do that without his help, without his strength. We're called to love God and love God's people. John goes on to say in verse 2 that we know this to be true, that we are loving the people of God when we keep when we obey God's commandments. And he goes as far to say that to love God equals keeping his commandments. If we really love God, then we'll do what he says. And we understand this from an earthly perspective, don't we? If you love somebody, if there's someone in your life that you love, you, want to, you seek to please them. If they've asked you to do something, you're prone to want to do that. If they've, they've challenged you on something, you want to listen to their advice or listen to their counsel. You want to respect them. You want to serve them. You want to care for them. Why? Because you love them. And I believe it's the same way in our walk with the Lord. If we truly love God, we will want to do what he says. It's not a have to. It's a want to. Our desire to please God is motivated by our desire to love him. We love God, we do what he says. Now this isn't the first time that John has kind of picked up this theme in his letter. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 29, he says this, If you know that he is righteous, talking about God, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born again. So if we are people that have made a consistent pattern in life of practicing righteousness, doesn't mean we're perfect. But if righteousness is something that is true of your life, then you're a follower of his. In 1 John 3, verse 9, we see the opposite is also true. It says, no one of God, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. Again, this is not to say that we never fall short, because as believers we do. We still live in a world that is messed up by sin. But what John is saying is that the pattern or the habits of our life should not be defined by sin, but by righteousness, because we're allowing the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us into all truth, to convict us when we're wrong. You know, as believers, we're not perfect. We always fall short, but we ought to be quick to repent to confess our sin, to be forgiven of what we have done against God. He cannot keep on sinning, it says. So to love God equals obeying his word. And just so there's absolute clarity, I love what John has to say here in verse 3. Because at this point, you could make the conclusion, or at least be tempted to, this is exactly what I thought about when I thought about Christianity. It's all rules, it's all guidelines and commandments and things you got to do and things you can't do. And John makes a point here in verse 3 to say that God's commandments are not 
burdensome. They're not burdensome. Actually living by the word of God and for Jesus Christ, we find from scripture, actually brings joy. It brings freedom. It brings hope. It brings peace. Doesn't bring a burden to us. Even if I quote Jesus in Matthew chapter 11, from, from the very mouth of Christ, he says this. He says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. He's not bringing burden upon us. I will give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So here's the question. How are you faithfully loving God and others in this season? Because here's the reality. For many folks, when the shutdown happened and the challenges of COVID-19 and the different things that we're seeing in our culture, even to this day, are a pressing reality. What has happened is many people have either drifted away from their relationship with Christ or these trials and these tests have drawn them closer to him. So where are you at? How are you faithfully loving God in this season? What about your relationship with others? Right? The reality of Sunday morning at Maranatha looks a lot different these days, right? A lot less people, a lot more services, but a lot less people in those services. Now we're wearing masks. So are we allowing the circumstances of what's going on around us to affect the way that we are loving other people? Because if we just kind of follow along and, and we aren't thinking very uh, intentionally or purposefully, we can drift from a lot of relationships during this season because it's just not convenient. But God is calling us to live on purpose. He's calling us to live with intention. We are called to faithfully love God and love others, the people that he's placed in our lives, no matter what's going on around us. How are we faithfully loving God and others during this season? My challenge for us as Maranatha Bible Church, as the church here, is that we would not allow different opinions or different preferences to to draw a dividing line between us as the body of Christ but that we would continue to rally around what is most important, and that is the word of God and the mission that he has called us to, to go and make disciples of all nations, that we would be known as a people that faithfully loves God and loves others no matter what's going on in life. Every believer in Christ is called to love God and love others. And here's the last one. Every believer in Christ overcomes the world. It's a promise that we find in scripture that no matter how bad things get, no matter what comes our way, for those who are truly followers of Christ, you will overcome. It says this in verses four and five. For everyone, there's our word, everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. I love this. The victory that has overcome the world is our faith, John says. Our faith in Christ. And he ends with this thought-provoking question. 
He says, who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? The answer is no one. Unless you are a true follower of Christ who has believed in Jesus as the Son of God, you will not overcome the world. Because you cannot go to battle with the world without the Spirit of God on your side. Every believer in Christ overcomes the world. Now let's talk about this phrase, the world, for a moment. Because this is the first time that John has brought it up. In 1 John chapter 2, John writes these words, verses 15 to 17. He says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Like these are some powerful statements. In verse 16 it says, for all that is in the world, and here's the definition, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father but from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Every believer in Christ overcomes the world. To be born again, to have true relationship with Jesus means that you are an overcomer, that you will overcome the world. And the way we do that here in verse 4, it tells us, is through our faith. That the victory that we have in Christ, that we can overcome the world, begins with genuine faith in Christ Jesus. That's how we overcome. We overcome the world. We overcome the enemy, Satan, his demons, all right? We're not fighting against flesh and blood. We know that. And we overcome all of those realities with the power of Christ, the victory that we have in Jesus Christ. Over the past week, I've started just a new personal study in the book of James. Um, I've been, I've been kind of following along a, a Bible study with Right Now Media, and so if you're not familiar with Right Now Media, it's a free resource to our church, for one. Um, you just go on our website, click on Media. At the very bottom, there's a link for Right Now Media. And it's free to you, all right? It's not free to the church, all right? But it's free to you, and you can share that with anybody you want to. But what Right Now Media is, for those of you who don't know what it is, it's, a, it's an entire library of Bible resources, um, video resources. It's been described as like the Hulu or Netflix or Amazon Prime of, of Bible study resources and videos. And it's a really, really good content that you can find there. And so I've been going through James with uh, Francis Chan. He does a study on, Fran- on, a, on the book of James. And, and I came across this passage in James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. And I just want to share this with you. As we think about overcoming the world, think about these words. It says in James chapter 1, he says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing, remember that word, testing, the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now, when, when Francis Chan was explaining this passage, he, he drew an illustration out of back in John's day, uh, silversmiths, uh, those who would make silver. Um, silversmiths would use this term testing to define the process that they use to purify silver. And so just a real quick summary, what they would do is they would take the the silver and they would put it in a pot and they would heat it up um, until it melted. It It was liquefied. And as that happened, 
impurities known as dross would raise to the surface of the, of the silver. And so the job of the silversmith was to warm it up, uh, to, to heat it up, and then he would take those impurities and he would scrape them off and discard them. And he would do this process over and over and over again until all the impurities in the silver were gone. All the dross was discarded. And what I found to be so powerful as I listened to this illustration is that the silversmith knew that the process was complete when he could look into the silver and he could see his own reflection. When he could see his own face, his own reflection in that liquid silver. God says in his word that we know that the testing of our faith produces steadfastness. In the world, we will have trials. All right, we will have tribulation. We will find ourselves up against a wall, struggling to move forward. But God is testing our faith in those moments. He's purifying us. He's cleaning us. And his goal is that he would look down from heaven and be pleased with what he sees, that he would see his own reflection in our own lives. That when people hear our words and people see us, they would not see our reputation or our name, but they would see the name of God, that we would be a reflection of God to the people that God has put into our lives. We are overcomers. We will overcome the world. But we can't do that on our own. We do that with God's help. I love what it says in John chapter 1 when it talks about Christ. It says, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus says in John 16, verse 33, he says, I have said these things to you that, you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. You can expect it. You can know that it's going to come. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Every believer in Jesus Christ overcomes the world. So here's the question. How will you claim victory in Christ this week? And we're not God. We don't know the end of the story. We don't know like, what's going to happen and everything that's going to go down. But we serve a God who is sovereign. We serve a God who is in control, who knows all things. And I believe has our best interest in mind. And so how will we claim the victory of Christ this week? Because here's a reality that many of us don't think about on a normal, daily basis. That if you're a believer, you have the Spirit of God living inside of you. The Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you. Leading you into all truth, guiding you along in life, convicting you of sin, helping you to share the gospel, helping you to be a witness and to share your testimony and all the things. Like the Holy Spirit is our power source. The Bible describes the Holy Spirit as the same power that raised Jesus from the grave. And he lives inside of you and I. How will you and I claim the victory of Christ today? We follow Christ. He's the ultimate overcomer. And the ultimate way that he overcame was he died on the cross for your sins and for mine. He was really buried in a tomb. He really died. And on the third day, by the power of the Spirit, God raised him back to life, conquering sin and death, and securing for us the opportunity of a relationship with God and spending eternity with him in heaven. How will you and I claim that victory today? This week, 
in this season and chapter of our lives, we're called to overcome by the power of God. Here's the main point. Real faith in Christ leads to real love in life. If you're sitting here today and you're honest with yourself, that deep longing for true love, real satisfaction, true joy, peace in life, you feel like you're just not finding it in the relationships, in the the job that you have, the possession that you have. If you're not finding it in what the world has to offer, let's not forget that you're not going to find it there because you can only find that in Christ. Real faith in Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, is what leads to real love in life. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for sending your only Son in love to die on our behalf so that we might have a relationship with you and we might be able to spend all of eternity with you in a place called heaven. So that we can live our lives to bring glory to your name, to bring honor to your name that is above all. And so God, I pray that every person in this room today would experience the true love of Christ. That through their faith in Jesus, they would experience true love and that would transform their heart. And that they would allow that transformation to change the way they treat people and the way they show love to those around them. And so God, I pray that your spirit would do a powerful work in all of our hearts. We thank you for your word. We we recognize again that we are nothing without you. And that God, if we want to glorify and honor your name, then we have to do it by your spirit. So Holy Spirit, we come before you and we ask for your power. As we go from here, that you would equip us, that you would empower us, you would mobilize us as the body of Christ to take your word into the places that you have called us to. Father, we love you. We ask all of this in Christ's name. Amen.